Alrighty, hopefully you've um, hopefully you got your Bible there. We're going to start reading. So, we're going to hear from God's Word. So, chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him... His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely... He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, who, sorry, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished." He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. Good evening, guys. How are we doing? You energetic bunch tonight. Great. Um, how about I pray before we get into it? Lord, um, thank you so much that we have your word to uh, look at each week. We pray that tonight you will uh, show yourself to us. Pray that tonight we'll see how good you are to us and how good you've been to us through Jesus. Amen. Um, well, when I say the word hero... Who, who springs to mind? Who, throw, some, throw some names out. Who, who comes to mind? If I say, this guy's a hero, who are you, who are you thinking? Thanos? 
Man, guy's not even here and you're still talking about it. Who else have we got? Throw some names out. Ooh. Okay, cool. George Columbaris. Yeah, maybe. We can talk about that later. Oh, you guys are too kind. Too kind. My um, clicker's not working. So can we go next slide? Is it this guy? Some of you guys are saying yes, we need to chat later because that is... He probably thinks he's his own hero. Um, but look, we'll just go next slide, next slide. Is it this guy? He looks pretty heroic. He's got the colours, he's got the shield, the helmet. Someone told me that I'm wrong, yeah, fair. Thank you, Ben. Um, next slide, go back one. Is it this guy? Some guys are like, I don't even like hockey, what's he on the screen for? Um, Australia's Ashes hero, scored like, he averages like 192 for the Ashes series or something. You guys are like boring next. Or is it this one? To infinity and beyond, am I right? Yeah? Um, that is me, for those of you playing at home. Um, I'm pretty sure two seconds after this photo was taken, I asked my dad whether I could wear it to an affair, and he said, son, of course you can. So grabbing the bread and the milk with Buzz Lightyear on. Um, but who's, give me some more names. Who else springs to, springs to mind when I say the word, who is a hero? You guys chucked some names out before. Thanos, that was... Uh, yeah, Donald Trump, yeah. So none of these guys, none of these guys really spring to mind, yeah? But what, those, those names that you threw out, why? Is it something that they've done in the past that they've built up this reputation that, that means that, you know, they can, they can be trusted, yeah? Do they have, as I said, do they have a history of doing things like this in the past? Is it their supreme physical stature, like Buzz Lightyear there, yeah? Is it those things? Some of those things can make us feel like um, people can be heroes. Um, well, tonight, for those... For those Marvel fans, we're going to track through tonight like we're watching a classic hero movie, yeah? Some of you guys are just clicked into gear, like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to see how a hero comes, he rises and falls, he has his journey set before him, um, but where they end up and the path they have to take to get there um, may be a little different to what we're used to. Uh, the hero we're going to see tonight is, is far greater than any we could ever think of. Um, a hero who leaves us in awe. And really remember, think of that word awe as, as we're tracking through the passage tonight. Um, but as I said, the first thing I want, to see, want you guys to see tonight um, comes from that feeling of awe. Um, if you don't know what that word means, um, thankfully, dictionaries and thesauruses exist. Thank you, one of them is called the Oxford Dictionary. And it says um, that the definition of awe is, quote, a feeling of reverential. So reverence is a real deep respect um, mixed with fear or wonder. So year 12s, you're welcome. Just gave you some, some baller words to use in your essay there. Good luck in your trials, whenever they are. Um, <laughs> don't know. But you're welcome. Free advice. Too late. <laughs> um, but do you get what it's trying to say? Do you get that deep respect, that reverence, that awe that it's trying to portray through, the, through that definition? It goes further than being amazed at something. It goes further than, well, this is the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Um, and it goes deeper in the way that it should come with a deep, uh, deep respect, fear, and wonder. Um, so as I say, keep that definition in your head, uh, because point one, if we can go to the next slide, be in awe that something so unimpressive, inverted commas, um, we'll get to why it's in inverted commas in a second, brought upon something so glorious. Um, if you chuck your eyes to the passage, uh, look at verse 14 in chapter 52, read with me. It says, Just as they were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured, beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So we pick that up just there in verse 14. 
about a servant who God is going to use for a particular purpose. But look how, as we saw, as we saw just there, look how unimpressive he is. We see it again at the start of chapter 53, uh, verse 2, read with me. Um, he grew up like a sh- uh, before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Keep reading with me in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Now, compared to those heroes that we saw before on the screen, this guy doesn't sound very good, does he? Despised. We want to hear it. When we think of heroes, we think of someone who's loved by everyone. He's a, he's a hero. People look to him. But here it says that this guy's going to be despised, rejected by mankind. Sort of, what's going on here? Um, yeah, this guy is not impressive at all. And you pick up, pick up um, the key words that, he, that they say in that verse there. They were appalled at him. His appearance was disfigured. So he's unrecognizable, this guy. You wouldn't pick him out of a crowd. Um, yeah, just super, super unimpressive. Um, his form was marred, which means spoiled or impaired uh, beyond human likeness. Chuck, you guys back with me to um, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 53. You keep reading. Um, so he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing that, in his appearance, nothing that he looked like would make us want to desire him. Um, he was despised and rejected. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Um, people would hide their faces from him. We despised him and he was held in low esteem. So if we're thinking of a typical hero, we're not going to probably use any of those words to describe someone, are we? Um, so if I looked, say for example, if I looked at Ben Osborne and say, hey, you hang out with that Nate guy a lot, um, give, me, give me some words to describe him. If he throws out despised, low esteem, he's rejected by mankind and has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, we're going, are you guys even friends? Like, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be rattled, yeah? Like, <laughs> that is a pretty tough and pretty rough description of, to give someone, especially, especially your mate. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Nate, throwing you on the bus there a bit, bud. Sorry, mate. Um, but yeah, we'd be a bit taken aback and confused. We wouldn't really know how to respond. As I said, you'd be like, are you guys even friends? Like, I thought you liked this guy, and you're saying that he's, you wouldn't pick him out of a crowd and he's unrecognisable. Um, and to add to the description of this servant, um, check out what the Israelites thought of him even more. Check out verse 4 of chapter 53. Um, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Now, did you catch that? We considered him to be punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So totally punished and totally, totally wrecked, if you will, by this, by this God who, who supposedly has sent him to die, and yet we considered him the ones to be, um, to be in trouble with God, if you will. We're saying, well, this guy really must have done something wrong if the God of the universe, the creator, is angry at him. Um, we, thought we'd, we'd done, uh, we thought he'd done something wrong against God, that he would be angry at his own son. Um, we keep reading on in verse 5. Um, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you catch that there? Here we are in verse 4 thinking that, oh, it's the servant that has done something wrong against God. Surely he's, he's worthy of this judgment. But verse 5, he's pierced for our transgressions and our iniquities. Now, as I said, we're going to track, like, track through this passage as if we're tracking through a Marvel movie or something. Um, so if we are, we're going to come across a spoiler. Yeah, classic spoilers. Classic, you can't check Facebook after a Marvel movie comes out because they're full of spoilers. Um, 
Well, I'm just about to drop a real juicy one. Um, who is the passage talking about? The one who comes and is so unimpressive to, to humankind but saves mankind from their sin? Who is it? Who are they talking about? This, this can be interactive, God, not a rhetorical question. Don't be scared. Jesus. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. Um, the servant who will come and suffer and die, that's our King Jesus. So, as I said, apologies about the spoiler, but um, we can see how that makes sense to the first point, yeah? Being in awe that something so unimpressive brought upon something glorious. Um, but what is that glory that we've, just, that we've just heard about? What is it? Come back to verse 5 with me. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did you catch that there? How glorious that is that through Jesus' death that we actually, we actually get to share in that glory with him. We're the ones that benefit from Jesus' death, which is insane. Um, Jesus died for our sins, and we are now healed for eternity because of his wounds. How glorious is that? We're going to keep, we're going to keep diving into that. But I've got, we got, got something to show you. Check out this car. Next slide. Does anyone recognize that car? There's a particular person in church that drives around in this car. But this car is an absolute lemon, yeah? It is a, this is a 2001 um, Mazda 121. Mazda went through a phase where they just had to, took two words and just swapped the name. So you've got a Mazda 121, 232333, just because their marketing team was asleep that day or something. Um, but it's like this car. So the bubble car, if you will, some people call it a bubble car. Nao's laughing at me. He knows why, why this car is so funny. Um, some of you may know it as a bubble car. So, but, but then take this car and imagine if I entered the Bathurst 1000 in this car. Now you guys are going, what are you doing that for? Bathurst 1000, the 161 laps around Mount Panorama in Bathurst, the most prestigious motor car racing um, race in Australian history. But imagine if I entered in that car. Like... I'm a pretty good driver, I would say, at the best of times, but that is, that is ridiculous. I'd get wrecked. The cars I'd be up against are made for this. Check out the next slide. I'd be up against that. Like, that car is built for speed compared to the bubble car, which I don't even know what it was built for. Um, but I would get wrecked to going up against cars like that. Um, as I said, this thing is meant for speed, and if, and if, even if that thing was slow, it is... Just majestic. Look at it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful car compared to a bubble with four wheels. Um, now, imagine if I did enter the race in the bubble car like we were talking about before. But imagine if I won. Imagine. You'd have to really imagine because it is pretty unrealistic. But imagine if I did. I think that does, does two things. It could just mean that the other cars are rubbish and that the other drivers are rubbish as well. It could mean that. But it does bring glory to the bubble car and me, who's driving it as well. If the driver can pull off a win in the biggest race in Australia, in a car that, let's be real, should be at the wreckers, it should be, um, sorry, Sheon, who drives that car, lol, um, it brings glory to both of them, both the driver and the car, um, because something so unimpressive has pulled off something so glorious. Um, guys, Jesus is the vehicle that God uses to bring himself glory as the driver, as, and Sorry, Jesus as a driver and God as a car. Um, Jesus, an unimpressive servant, pulls off the greatest victory of eternity by saving his people from their sins. But you could be talking about, yeah, you've talked about cars and Jesus, and what does this mean for us? 
Guys, we are unimpressive when we compare ourselves to God. We are the unimpressive ones. Now, that is a bit of a shock to some of us. Some of us are going, oh, you know, I'm pretty good. I get my hair cut and shave and whatnot. I look pretty good. Some of us are, might be 90 kilos with less than 2% body fat and are just absolute units. Some of us might be amazing speakers who are comfortable up the front. Some of us might be absolute walking calculators, math geniuses. Some of us might be able to shred on the guitar, whatever. Whatever your gifts are, um, when compared to God, we are mere human beings who are weak next to him. But here's the thing, and here's where we come in. Even though we are so unimpressive, God uses us to take his message to his people. God entrusts us with his word that promises salvation, even though we might stumble our words and, and, as I say, get words wrong and be awkward in conversations when we're talking about Jesus to people. Um, This is a case for me back in high school. I have a mate who, one, is definitely not going to be doing a TED Talk anytime soon, and B, would definitely not win any public speaking competitions. Um, That's just who he was. But he had the conversation with me back in primary school. And yes, I will admit, it was hard to follow along. I'm sitting there going, what are you trying to say to me? But I got it. I got it. God was using him to talk to me and to spread the gospel to me. Um, As I said, it was a little hard to follow where he was heading, but I did end up coming to youth and did hear the gospel through what he was trying to say. Um, God used my friend, uh, my good mate, to share the gospel. Guys, this is where we want to get tonight. Just as God used an unimpressive Jesus to save us from eternal life and to save us from, sorry, to save us from eternal separation, to give us eternal life, God now uses an unimpressive Ben or Nate or Zach or whoever um, to save people who are lost and bring them into relationship with their Creator. This brings us to point two, if we can go to the next slide. Point two, be in awe that God would actually do this for us. But how do we, how do we know that God has done this for us? Um, check out chapter 53, verses 4 to 6 with me. Read along. Surely he, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you get that language in there that shows you that, um, that shows you who the wrath of sin and God's judgment is meant for? Did you get it? If you go through that passage again, our pain, our suffering, our transgressions, and our iniquities. Guys, we are the ones who this punishment is meant for. The one, the punishment that Jesus had to come and die for, that was meant for us. Now, take a second to work out what that what that actually, how that actually hits you. If you look at what Jesus went through on that cross and realize that was actually meant for us, it's absolutely startling, startling, startling revelation. Something that in the lead up to, to giving this talk is just, I had to just sit down and just, just sit there and, and revel in, in what that actually looked like, meaning that Jesus actually took that place for me. Um, we are the ones who this punishment is meant for. Sin deliberately disobeying God, turning away from his way of living and living as our own king, breaks our relationship with God, our creator, and means that we are staring down the, battle, uh, down the barrel of an eternity separated from him. In verse 6 there, we all like sheep have gone astray. Check that out. Each of us has turned to our own way. Now, some of you are going, bah, bah, do, bah, bah, um, which is hard to do while you're reading, it's hard not to do while you're, doing, while you're reading this passage. But that does not look good for us at all, does it? 
does not look good for us. If we look at, as we saw, he took up our pain, our suffering. If you just look at who, the, as we said, who that punishment is meant for, our transgressions, our iniquities, but then look where the punishment actually lands. He was pierced. He was crushed. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. That's hectic. That's an insane thing that we deserved all that punishment that Jesus got. But Jesus took it for us. So imagine you're at school. Well, you guys don't have to imagine because you were there today. So it's a real thing. Um, but you're sitting outside the principal's office, right? Um, I don't know what it was like in the other schools, but at GPCC, represent, um, you're sitting there at the front of Mr. McClellan's office and you're going, oh, this is not a good time to be alive. That is not, that little row of seats outside his office is not a fun time. And some of these guys are looking at me going, please don't talk about it. Um, but it's, it's crazy. Um, not, a, not where you want to be. Um, and obviously, you know that you're there for a good reason. Um, you're sitting there because you've cheated on your English in class, I say, yeah? You've written one out at home. It's flawless, absolutely perfect. You've given it to the teachers. They're like, this is the best essay we've ever seen. But just try and remember it as much as you can before you come into class. And you've gone, sweet, grab the phone out, click, 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 taking photos of it. And you've snuck your phone into the exam room. And how you would do that, I, would, I don't know, because they're, <laughs> they're like security guards standing out the front of you. Okay, give me your phone, give me your phone, give me your phone as you walk into the exam room. But how you would actually, as I said, actually, how you would do that, I don't know. But that's what you've done, and you're sitting there, and you're saying, you're yeah, coughing in and out, looking around, trying not to get caught. So, as I said, I don't know how you'd actually pull that off, but you don't. You get busted. Um, teacher walks over, sees what you're doing, and marches you straight down to the office. Now you're freaking out. You're going, oh man, I've never been in trouble before. What's going to happen? How am I going to explain this to my parents that I've blatantly tried to cheat on this exam? Um, look, I'm probably going to get zero, so I've got to find an extra 20 marks somewhere in my, in my curriculum, somewhere in other subjects. Um, how am I going to make those, those marks back up? And you've got so many things going through your head, right? You just, you just, all these opportunities, all these things that you hadn't had to think of before are now coming through your head. But as you sit there, as you're sitting on, those, on, the, on the death row of chairs at the front of Mr. McClellan's office, um, a fellow student walks into the office. Now, when I say fellow student, you've seen them before, hanging around the playground or in class or whatever, but you haven't really spoken to them much before. Um, you're not really friends... You don't really hang out with them that much. They're just, they're just there. Um, now, he goes up to the principal, um, who's just about to rain absolute fury down on you for doing this. Um, and he says, I'm here to turn myself in. Now, immediately you go, what's this guy doing? Um, they explain everything to the principal. Um, that not only did, were they the ones that they do it, that they got the wrong guy, um, but that they actually came up with the idea and told us to do it, told you to do it in the first place, um, even when you're sitting there like that is absolute garbage. Um, so all the punishment then, this guy turns himself in, goes on this this guy. We'll call him Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Um, so Patrick is now going to cop the wrath of the school principal. But not only that, you're safe from any punishment that you'll now ever get in the future. You've just received immunity from the school principal, from the board, from the head honcho, from whoever, that even if you do do something wrong in the future, you're not going to get in trouble for it. Now imagine if that happened. Now that sounds absolutely, absolutely ridiculous, yeah? And it is. The thought that you've done something wrong, that you know it, you've blatantly done it, a stranger walks in, 
and says, I did it. That is ridiculous. And it should sound ridiculous. Um, so not only, not only have you been saved from the mistake that you've just done, you've actually been saved from all future mistakes that you're going to make as well. Now, this should be starting to sound familiar. Guys, this is what Jesus has done for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. Except instead of saving us from suspension or possible expulsion, he saves us from death. And instead of protecting us from future punishments, he promises us eternal life. Jesus makes what what good old Patrick did look so small compared to what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. Guys, this is is monumentally crucial for us to get um, as Christians and for those who, who aren't Christians here tonight to get as well. It was us who deserved the punishment, the punishment that would separate us from God for eternity um, and throw us into hell for eternity. But be in awe. There's that word again. That God would do this for us, who, was so, who we were so undeserving. Because of us, that God had to intervene and do something about it in the first place. We saw that back in the verses 4 to 6. Our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities. It was God who had to step in and intervene in the first place. We were undeserving of grace, and Jesus was undeserving of this punishment. We come within a verse 9 of the passage. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What we deserved, Jesus paid for on the cross. Did you catch that there? He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So before we're talking about how we thought and how the Israelites thought that Jesus was unimpressive, yeah? We saw that earlier in the passage. But how unimpressive do we now look like compared to our Saviour Jesus? He has done this for us, so be in awe of him. Now we're going to head towards wrapping up, but... Third point, be in awe that this is how God chose to bring glory to Jesus. Now, if you're tracking along like we would in our movie, yeah, we're probably getting to the point, you're probably getting confused. We're going, wait, hang on a second, it's a hero movie, so he's come, but he's died, and we're like 45 minutes into the movie. What's going on? How, how does that work? What is this producer doing? Um, we just, so yeah, this one who was promised to come, and save his people from their sins has now died. So what, what the heck? Where to from here? Where do we go? What do we do with this message? Well, trust me when I say this, there is hope. There is hope, trust me. A hope that lasts forever, and one that is all thanks to Jesus. Being all, there's that word again, that God brings glory to Jesus by having him crucified on a cross. Um, so a bit of context this is helpful. We've looked at a lot of context as we've gone through Isaiah, but a bit of context. Back in the times of the Romans, um, who were the guys that put Jesus on the cross, who actually carried out the, the act of crucifixion. Um, so back in their time, crucifixion was not only one of the most uh, painful deaths anyone could experience, but it was also one of the most embarrassing. Um, the most, so people were hung up on the cross, which is painful in itself, but they were publicly shamed um, and mocked. Um, and it was, as I said, one of the most painful deaths a human could experience, but one of the most embarrassing as well. Um, here we have a mere helpless human hanging to the cross by nails and being publicly shamed and mocked whilst hanging there um, 
in excruciating pain, which is where that word comes from. Excruciating comes from, comes from the act of crucifying. Um, come over with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. look at verse 27 with me. To give us a bit of an idea of, of what, time, what times were like when, um, when Jesus was getting crucified. Verse 27, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of his soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together with crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand And they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Now, did you pick up that context? Did you pick up the situation that Jesus was in? Here here he is hanging there in enough pain already without... He's the soldier general going, oh, boys, come over here, come get around it. And he's sitting there and gets all these boys and just hurl insults at Jesus as he's on the cross, as if he wasn't in enough pain himself. But you're thinking, you're thinking, Ben, you've just told me that this, this saviour is glorious. Um, you've just told me about this king who we should be in awe of, who died for the sins of the world. But here he is being mocked publicly, um, spat on and beaten with a staff. I get yeah, I get why that's confusing. Um, but I told you to trust me when I said that there was hope, and there is. God promises hope for his people, just as he's promised to care for his people all the way through Isaiah, as we've seen him keep his promises continually, even though Israel has turned away from him continually. We've seen that through Isaiah. Um, so come back to Isaiah 53 with me. Flick back there and check out verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. So did you see what's going on there? You see what you, got, what you got there in verse 10? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Jesus' death and resurrection was done to fulfill the will of the Lord. Jesus knew the task set before him and went there willingly with, willingly with a job to do. We see that back in verse 7, where he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't argue with God. If there was anyone who ever could argue with God, it was Jesus. He was God. If there's anyone who could ever be like, God, what are you... Please, he says that when he goes to the crucifixion. He says, take this, take this cup from me. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't argue with God and didn't contest God's will, which is even more extraordinary. Because as I said, Jesus probably was the only one who could have ever challenged the authority of God. But he still doesn't. Jesus was perfect had done nothing wrong, and yet here he was, standing before God with the sins of the world on his shoulders. So how then does God bring glory to Jesus? Check out the rest of verse 10 to 12 there. 
He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. There, verse 10. Jesus will continue to see the fruits of his sacrifice for eternity. Um, We as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God are the offspring that they're talking about. Jesus' offspring that will continue into eternity, that is us. We are evidence of the fruit that have come from Jesus' sacrifice because now we have a relationship with him. Jesus' days will be prolonged because through us and Christians for eternity, Jesus will be glorified and his sacrifice will be remembered for eternity. So if then we're partnered with Jesus for eternity, then we share in that glory with him. Keep reading from verse 11 with me. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give them a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied and, give a, and will be given a portion among the great, which now transfers to us today as well, meaning that we now share in God's portion, the rich are the riches of his eternal life forever. Now take a step back and actually work out what, what that looks like for you. We, we saw before, yeah, we saw before that we are the ones who are deserving of Jesus, um, of God's punishment, God's wrath, but yet here we are now, able to have a relationship with him for eternity. That is some of the best news that anyone could ever hear. Um, Check out the New Testament. Check out Philippians chapter 2. So if we looked at the promise that God has just made to Jesus um, and the promises that he's made to us that he um, he will prolong through all of his days and he would see see the fruits of his offspring for the rest of his days. But where is Jesus now? Um, We've seen him come, we've seen him suffer and die, but what does God promise? Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you pick up what God promises and where God says that Jesus is now? Read through with me again. He's exalted to the highest place. He will be given the name above all names, that every, that every knee will bow, that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus now sits on his throne in heaven, ruling over his kingdom for eternity. Be in awe that something so unimpressive brought upon something so glorious that God would do something like that for us and that through dying on the cross, something so gruesome and so painful and so embarrassing as that, that that's how God chose to bring glory to his son. Think back to, to the crappy car I showed you before, the bubble car, the Mazda 121. Um, be amazed that your king can bring something so impressive, so much glory, as if I was to win the Bathurst 1000 in that car. It's almost laughable. Um, and actually look past something that looks average at first, because that's what Jesus looked like to us at first, yeah? We considered him stricken and afflicted by God. We considered him to have a face that was marred beyond human likeness, so disfigured. 
But how foolish were they? How foolish is that mindset to think that Jesus is the unimpressive one when, when compared to us? This is the king of the universe who has come to die for you, for me, for all of us. And there is nothing even remotely unimpressive about that. So what does this mean for us? If we can flick to the next slide. Come before your God in awe. Now you might be confused about what that actually looks like for you. Um, but we're going to sing in a second. Um, but take some time to actually work out what that looks like and, and, the, and the importance of that. Close your eyes, bow your heads, get on your knees, do whatever you do. There's no right or wrong response to singing and to singing the words, um, singing the words of the gospel through song. There's no, there's no right or wrong response. Um, but actually sit there and consider what you're doing. Um, we come to youth every week, we come to church every Sunday, well, most of us do, um, and we sing. It's just something that we do as Christians. Don't lose what that actually means. Don't be complacent and just mumble along with the words uh, like we may do every week. Think about them and what they actually mean for your life. The next song, particularly we're going to sing straight after the sermon, um, has such, such epic truths in it um, that explains everything that we've just been talking about. Quote the chorus, The Lamb of God in my place. Your blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death that you died, that I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. Now take a second to soak that in. Those lyrics are, are just incredible. And it's, we're singing about the truths that we've just heard about in the gospel. The Lamb of God, Jesus, in my place. Your place. Anyone's place. Jesus' blood poured out. My sin erased. It was my death that Jesus died and I am the one who's raised to life. How could, we, how could we not want to sing about those truths? So as we do sing, um, reflect and actually think about the lyrics that we're singing and come before your God in awe and thank him for what he's done for you. Next slide. Um, make changes in your life that reflect your heart for the Lord. Now, you could do this in a bunch of ways. Um, but when we're thinking about that, think about how our King Jesus has suffered on a cross for your sins, for my sins, for our sins. How can we say that we love him and trust him and follow him if we keep living in continual sin in opposition to him? Um, make, make a Spotify playlist full of Christian songs that, that you just pump on repeat all the time as you're going, driving to school, as you're driving with your mates. Something that I do all the time. One, it's super practical. It means you just remember all the lyrics, which is super helpful for singing. Um, lyrics are important when you're singing. Um, but play it all the time. Constantly remind yourself day in, day out as you come before your God with awe. Constantly remind yourself of the truth that he has come for you, that it's in your place that he has come. Um, Get your G team, get the numbers off everyone in your G team and text everybody every day. It doesn't have to be some long philosophical three-point argument. Jesus loves you. He's come to die for you. Do that every day. Start once a week. Do it a couple of days a week. Then try and do it every day. Remind each other every day about how good God has been to us in Jesus. And remind yourself, next slide, of the cross in each and every decision that you make so that you're striving to live in line with the gospel. But be comforted 
by the fact that Jesus paid it all. Now, there's a tension there, I reckon. We don't want to be complacent, continually living in sin, but knowing that Jesus died for us, I mean, oh, it doesn't matter. Jesus has got it. There's something that we need to work on there. But I don't know if you looked at it in your G teams tonight, but Romans 5.1, we're now given a peace with God. Some, some of the boys in my G team are reflecting tonight, and I don't, I've never thought about that, what that actually looks like before. We have this peace with God that no matter who else we might not have peace with, we have, a peace, we have the peace with the creator of the universe. Now, if that's not comforting, if that's not some of the best news you've ever heard, then I don't know, I probably can't give you anything that's going to top that. We can come before the Lord of the universe, the creator, our saviour, with a peace, a peace that Jesus has achieved for us. So why should we be ashamed or why should we be um, frightened of any judgment or anything that we're going to get from any person on earth when we have peace with the God of the universe who loves us and looks down on us and doesn't see us but sees Jesus? Um, Lastly, tell your non-Christian friends. This is a bit of a no-brainer, but this is the news that will save your friends for eternity. How can, we, how can we say that we love the friends that we're with and that we're hanging out with if we don't tell them the news that will save them from an eternity in hell? The most loving thing that we can do for our friends is tell them about the gospel. Now, I get that's hard. I get that this is an offensive message to people telling them that they have to submit their lives to someone who they haven't seen before and telling them that they have to um, live in the right way by a bunch of rules as they might see it. But tell them, be bold for the gospel. As I said, this is news that will save them for eternity. Um, And that is the best news that someone could ever hear. So for the Christians in here tonight, which is a bunch of you, firstly, remember every day, what Jesus has done for you and what his death and resurrection has achieved for you. Think about where you'd be for eternity without him. As we were reflecting on that before, think about where you'd actually be if Jesus didn't come and die and where you'd be. Think about the reason why Jesus had to come back and die in the first place. Um, Let that be spurring you on to be telling your friends. Remember, as we saw before, God used Jesus' death to bring himself glory and now he uses us to bring people to him, into relationship with him. We don't have to present the most amazing sermons or um, yeah, big philosophical arguments to, to our friends each time we talk to them. Um, but pray that God will be speaking through you, just like that happened back with me in the playground or with my mate. Um, trust me, he stumbled through the whole thing, um, but I heard the gospel. And it meant that I came to youth and it meant that I was brought from an eternity in hell into eternity with God. For non-Christians, so there might be some of you here tonight, um, at the very least, don't leave tonight without having a conversation with either a leader or the person you talk to uh, who brought you here or me. I'll be hanging around after the talk if anyone has any questions. At the very least, think about it. Think about what this means for your life. We've just seen the punishment that we deserve if we don't have Jesus. Think about, what, think about that what, and what that means for your life. Um, as I said, I'd love to chat to you, the leaders that brought you and your mates that brought you, um, we'd love to chat to you as well. Um, but just come and find us. But become a Christian. Plain and simple. Come and join us for eternity. Um, your God, your creator, loves you so much. And we've seen how much he loves you by sending his own son to die for us. Um, and if that... 
if an eternity in heaven um, doesn't make you want to become a Christian and commit your life to him, then I don't know what will. I don't have any better news, I'm sorry. Um, Jesus' death brings us salvation and himself glory. A glory that we share in for eternity. And if we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, don't miss out on that news. Come join us for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that even though we were so undeserving of your grace that you sent Jesus to die for us on the cross. I pray that we will be in awe of you each and every day. I pray that we will see how that glory was displayed on the cross 2,000 years ago as you died. I pray that you help us be making changes in our life that mean that uh, we take what that means for our lives and, and be applying that to our lives. I pray that you'll be helping us to see how, glo- how glorious you are and what um, Jesus' death and resurrection has meant for us on the cross. We pray these things in your name. Amen.